Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Weigh In Sports Talk. Today is Wednesday, January 15th. Before we get started, here are a few reminders. We would love to hear from you, and here are several ways to weigh in. Call us at 646-716-5564 or join us in the chat room by listening online at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Tarvino or follow us on Twitter at Weigh In Sports. Now here's your host, Brian Tarvin. Let's weigh in. Thank you, Michelle, and welcome, everyone. Happy Wednesday night. We're almost to a Friday, which means the end of the work week for some. And we have a holiday coming up Monday, Martin Luther King Day, so a lot of people out there will be able to stay up late Sunday night and listen to the show since you won't be working Monday. So no excuses out there. Trey Patterson, the co-host of this show, will not be with us tonight. He has some other obligations, so I'll be flying solo for right now until the callers call in. The caller number is 646-716-5564. I'd love to hear from you, and tonight's agenda we're going to talk about and preview the actual the NFC and the AFC championship games. I'm so excited about this weekend. I mean, you talk about the four best teams in the NFL. I mean, it's a perfect AFC and NFC championship game, and we're going to preview the winners of each, talk about the keys to victory for all four teams, and, and maybe give our prediction on the Super Bowl, I guess, so... That's going to be fun. Stay tuned. We're going to talk about the upcoming NFL draft. I really want to hear from the fans out there tonight, the listeners, who they think should go number one overall. And I don't know if if I was dreaming, but I thought I heard somewhere that people are thinking Johnny Manziel could go number one overall in the draft, which, guys, I would be shocked if that happened. But call in, tell me your thoughts about this. The draft's going to be exciting this year. There's a lot of people. I mean, where will Clowney end up going? We have Jake Matthews from Texas A&M, Katie Bridgewater from Louisville, and and a person that's really jumped up the list, uh, Greg Robinson for Auburn, a redshirt sophomore, 6'5", 320. I mean, his stock has soared this year. I mean, a number four overall pick. And a lot of people thought, well, he should have stayed another year. Well, kind of hard to improve your stock from four to one i mean he could easily go from four to 51 so you you don't know you take the money if you're first round money like this and you run and and another player out there that people aren't really talking about much that i've been looking at since the freshman sammy watkins out of clemson just a dynamic running or a wide receiver phenomenal i just i was hoping carolina could could somehow trade up but not give up the world, but trade up and get someone like him. You know Carolina's looking for a receiver this year. We're going to find out how much they're willing to pay for one. I say if you're not going to get the best, don't even worry about it. Get one later in the draft. But we want to talk about that. We want to talk about some college recruiting. And also there's a convention this week, the NCAA convention uh, out in San Diego, and a big topic on the agenda is paying athletes. So we're going to find out what's going to come out of this. They said it could be huge, you know, monumental, the 104 years they've been in there. 
So excuse me if you hear someone barking in the background. That's not me. That's my dog right now. He's settling down. We got home late from work. So thanks for being patient. Again, the caller number six four six seven one six five five six four. Hopefully we'll have some callers in soon. We are starting a little later than we normally do right now, so we apologize for that. We're going to try to go to about 10 o'clock, and we'll see how that goes. But we'll start out tonight in some news. It looks like Clayton Kershaw for the Los Angeles Dodgers has signed a huge deal, seven years, $215 million. And most of the time, most of the time, I have to admit, I'm very much against these deals, but Clayton Kershaw, guys, he's 25 years old. I mean, this guy hasn't even started pitching yet. Uh, getting he, He's going to get smarter. He's going to get stronger. But 25-year-old, he's won the Cy Young two out of the last three years in the National League, as well as the Roberto Clemente Award for his charitable work. I mean, the, the guy, you'd think he was 35, but he's 25. Um, it says here in, on CBS, his wife, Ellen, and him founded an orphanage in the African nation of Zambia called Hope's Home that they visit every off-season. They co-wrote a book about their experiences last winter, Arise, Live Out Our Faith and Dreams on Whatever Field You Find Yourself. Clayton Kershaw, 16-9 and record with a 1.83 ERA and 232 strikeouts last season that sticks with the Dodgers. Um, I mean, my gracious, his numbers. And, and when you watch him pitch, you have to look at him and be in awe. And and I'm not one of those people that get in awe too much, but Clayton Kershaw, the Dodgers were going to pay somebody. You have to pay a game changer like this. I haven't seen a pitcher this dominant in a long time. And when the Braves played him uh, in the playoffs, I just knew it was just a, a bad combination for Atlanta, the way they struck out Clayton Kershaw coming in. But, this contract is the biggest of any pitcher. Uh, it says he'll make an average of $30.7 million per year. Uh, wow, the highest annual average in Major League Baseball history. And so he's $30.7 million. Roger Clemens made $28 million. Uh, no seven. A-Rod through 2008 and 2017 is going to make $27.5 million. Justin Verlander, 2013 to 2019, is going to make 25.7 million. Well, wow! I mean, it's just amazing. It, it's seeing this contract like this, but you have to remember, this is the going rate in baseball. There's a lot of games to be played in baseball, and and it, they they have to pay this much. But hey, if you're going to pay somebody, pay the best. Clayton Kershaw, again, 25 years old. The Dodgers locked him up, but he does have an option after the fifth year to get out of it. So he's not stuck in L.A. I don't think you can really be stuck anywhere. And like in L.A., you're making that kind of money. But sky's the limit for this guy. I just think unless he gets a big injury, and that's my concern, injuries come quick to pitchers sometimes, and especially overpowering pitchers like Clayton Kershaw, one little injury could – could really hurt the Dodgers, and that's one of the problems I have with pitchers. I would rather pay that kind of money to a a hitter, someone that's going to play every day and get fans in the seats. That's where I would pay my money. So maybe maybe I'm wrong, and if you if you disagree, six four six seven one six five five six four. I just thought it was interesting to see you know all this football going on, some big 
big news in the baseball world. But the Minnesota Vikings hired them a coach, Zimmer. And tell me if I'm if I'm missing it or something, but I didn't even really know their guy's name. I see him on on the HBO Hard Knocks. Mike Zimmer is going to be the coach of the Minnesota Vikings. He's the he spent the last five years in Cincinnati as a defensive coordinator. He's a pretty tough nosed coach, and and I don't know if if this hire is really what Minnesota needs, honestly. I know it's an upgrade. Trust me, anybody would be an upgrade. But I don't know. Leslie Frazier just didn't look like the head coach kind of material in the NFL. I don't really think he he had respect of the players. But this guy demands respect from the players. So I'm, I'm interested to hear what you think. But I don't know. The Minnesota Vikings, maybe that's as good as they could get. I mean, people aren't knocking down the doors of Minnesota trying to get a job, really. But this team – have talent. You have Adrian Peterson, for God's sake. You have a, a talented defense, in my opinion. The problem is the defense gets worn out because the offense, they can't move the ball through the air. Adrian Peterson can't do it every year. So I'm just I'm wondering what, what, what move is he going to make to to improve this team? And, and I, don't, I don't think he's ever been a, a head coach. And, and tell me if I'm wrong. I just don't think he's ever been a head coach anywhere, but I liked him in Cincinnati. I mean, he, he knows it's a dead end in Cincinnati. They're going to get to the playoffs every year, and they're going to choke in the first round, kind of like Carolina did this year. So good move for Minnesota. We'll find out very soon. And you know, some other news in the NFL, Tom Brady misses a practice due to an illness. I hear some fans worrying about whether he's going to play. I hear Denver fans uh, questioning the same thing. Let me go ahead and tell you, everybody out there, Tom Brady will be on the field if he is alive. Now, he could have surgery today or tomorrow, but he will still make it for the game. I'm sure it's probably a stomach bug, flu, something going around. But I can't wait to preview this game and and actually watch this game, the top two quarterbacks in the NFL going head-to-head like old times. And, you know, just the way the story ends up, Peyton Manning – just say he comes in, gets a win over Tom Brady, wins the Super Bowl. That could be the last of Peyton Manning that we see. I think Peyton Manning's smart enough and balanced enough in life to walk away from the game of football as a winner and not pull a Brett Favre and and start hopping around teams and and just destroying your your legacy and your image. So Peyton Manning, that's going to be a great game. We'll preview that shortly once I get someone to call in here once they realize we have a show tonight. Maybe they don't. I don't know. But 646-716-5564. And I want to talk about a little bit, I'm sure Cuervo, when he calls in, is going to talk about it with me, is the NFL draft coming up. I mean, there's so much talent in this draft right now. I was looking at it, and Paul Ewing, he's in our chat room right now, he's a big Johnny Manziel fan. And the question I want to ask Paul right now is uh, I'm hearing that there's a possibility that he gets drafted first overall in the draft. And I just want to see what Paul thinks about this because I just think it was uh, a stretch to even think that. And if he's drafted in the top ten, I would be very concerned. If he's in the first round, I would be concerned 
and and I'm not a Johnny Manziel hater. I've gained more respect for him as the years gone on this year. I, I didn't have much use for him when the season started, but I want Paul to let me know what he thinks. Should Johnny Manziel be a first round pick or a first overall pick or even a top five pick? So when he responds, I'll, I'll let you all know. If he wants to call in, he's in the studio. Press number one. Uh, we'll get him on. And Cuervo will be on just a minute. But I look at, at the needs in the NFL draft. If you if you look at the teams, I mean, their quarterback's the need. And, and that's just the bottom line. People need quarterbacks right now. And when you look at this draft, I'm going to pull up the quarterback. Sorry, my computer froze on me. It happens at work and in, and at home, so maybe it's just user error. But I'm going to pull up the quarterback list and just I want you to think. Looking at the NFL, don't look at college. Look, pitcher, you know, a couple of years down the road on an NFL team, the quarterbacks we have in this draft, we have Teddy Bridgewater coming out of Louisville, a junior. Blake Bortles, the kid from Central Florida that nobody heard about until they saw his girlfriend on TV and watched him in a BCS bowl game beat Baylor. Johnny Manziel, of course. Derek Carr out of Fresno, uh, 6'3", 218. He got got it kind of exposed a little bit, in my opinion, when the bowl game came towards the the end of the season. David Fells of San Diego State. We had Brett Smith of Wyoming. And, again, people don't know these names. Go study them. You'll, you'll learn a lot about them. Zach Medenberger, A.J. McCarron, Taj Boyd, Aaron Murray, Logan Thomas of Virginia Tech. He's a big kid. Somebody could work with him. He could be good. He's a 6'6", 250-pound kid, kind of like Cam Newton. So I'm sure somebody's going to take a chance on him in the middle of the draft somewhere. Connor Shaw. Stephen Morris of Miami, Garrett Gilbert of SMU. I mean, you just look at some of these quarterbacks, but the number one rated quarterback on CBS is Bridgewater, Blake Bortles two, and Manziel three. And so when I look at this, guys, I just see a, a lot of quarterbacks in this draft. So if you need a quarterback, this is your draft. And, and, and Colin Coward was talking today that he heard people comparing Johnny Manziel. Well, you look at the the frame of Johnny Manziel, he's six foot. They say six, but he's about 5'10", 11", 210. Well, they say, look at Russell Wilson. Look at Drew Brees. And they look at Russell Wilson, his second year in the NFL with Seattle, and they're talking about how successful he is. Well, I have to disagree with that because he's on a great football team. He was in the second round somewhere, I believe, second round Russell Wilson was, and he got drafted by a good team, somebody that just took a shot on him that thought they were secure quarterback. Well, when you Johnny Manziel is going to get drafted, if he goes first, uh, you know, he's probably in first few picks, he's going to be on a sucky team. And that's not a good recipe. You have an undersized quarterback that likes to run and play wild. In the NFL, first he's going to get injured, he's going to get killed, and he's going to get beaten bad. He, he doesn't have the luxury of probably having a great offensive line to protect him some big-time receivers, or a good defense to lean on, he's going to get thrown into the water. You look at Cam Newton three years ago, he got drafted number one overall to the Carolina Panthers. Three years later, they finally sniff the playoffs and get in, and they lose the first round. What I'm trying to say is it takes time to build something when you're the worst team in the NFL, and then all of a sudden you're getting the pick. Johnny Menzel is not going to do it. Well, let's, let's look at Paul. Paul says Manziel doesn't fit the old prototype of the quarterback drafted number one. 
and Paul has concerns about how well he can protect himself given this smaller frame, but he is a magician on the field and, and is made for the current NFL. This league protects and welcomes quarterbacks who can improvise, run, and make plays beyond the playbook. It's early, but Manziel is a special player in the draft process to prove it further. Well, that's Paul Ewing's comments and probably the biggest Johnny Manziel fan alive besides his mom and dad, I bet. But, I mean, he's right. This is a new NFL. This is a, the current NFL is all about dynamic quarterbacks. You see the, the pocket passer, the old school quarterback, Peyton Manning and Tom Brady, they're close to retirement, but they're still good. Don't get me wrong, they're great. That's why their teams are, are in the NFC or the AFC championship game is because they're great. But if you look at the new NFL, the current NFL really after those two, you have Colin Kaepernick at San Fran, dual threat, big guy, strong arm, he can fly. And and if you look at Cam Newton, six six, two fifty, dual threat, you have Russell Wilson. And, I mean, it's just on and on the list. You don't see quarterbacks anymore like Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. You have Aaron Rodgers in there, uh, but he's just not as tough as they are mentally, I don't think. He's, he's, he's just not as committed to, to, to those two. So once these two quarterbacks die off, Brady and Manning, and they get out of the NFL, you're going to turn to the best quarterback in the NFL probably being Andrew Luck. And, and don't let Andrew Luck surprise you. He can, he can really, you know, move. Sorry about that, guys. I had to blow my nose a minute. He can move. He's strong. He's fast. But Paul made a, a good point, and I was going to say this before he did, so he stole my thunder. The Texans are a fluke number one overall pick, and he's right. They have a great defense. They're back next season. Arian Foster in the backfield, Andre Johnson receiver. So that's a great point, Paul. That's that's exactly where I was going to try to go. Most teams that draft number one overall are terrible. But you have the Houston Texans right now that were picked by some. And when I say some, probably, correct me if I'm wrong, Paul, 30% of the people out there had, had the Texans in the Super Bowl or winning the AFC. So, I think I think Paul's right. It was a fluke them getting there. So you get a Johnny Manziel, born and raised in Texas, for the Houston Texans. One thing I can tell you, they're going to sell seats. They're going to sell jerseys. They're going to sell everything, hats, anything Johnny Manziel. So if you're Houston and you're looking for a quarterback, and, and remember, Houston has quarterbacks. Their need's not really quarterback in my mind, but – I don't know if I'm Houston and I do not draft Johnny Manziel up top just for that reason. I trade that pick away because Houston's a team that was played with injuries and a team to me that quit. I, I really think they quit. And tell me if I'm wrong, but they they realize that hey, we're not going to win the AFC this year. We're not going to make the playoffs. Let's do something. Let's get the first round pick, first overall pick, so we can get a superstar. We can have some trade bait. And I think Houston would really benefit from trading it away, Paul. And Sports Buzz Radio, welcome to the chat room as well. People will start coming in shortly, and we're off our regular scheduled time. So Cuervo will be calling in shortly. He just sent me a message. But Johnny Manziel, guys, I mean, and you can ask Paul. He's a guy I really couldn't stand. After In the preseason this year, I picked him to lose four games, I believe, Four or five games, that's what they did. And But I didn't expect Johnny Manziel to have the kind of season he had. 
this year was better than last year. And he improved his draft stock because, you know what, he kept his mouth shut. He actually started playing football in his passing numbers. People didn't think he could throw the ball the way he did. You know, he threw it all over the place against Alabama. He, I mean, he just exploded against Auburn. He made them look just like a high school defense. The only defenses that really held him up was Texas, or excuse me, LSU, and then Missouri held him in check as well towards the end of the season. But I just think that's when Manziel realized that, you know, no SEC championship, so he kind of packed it in a little bit and getting ready for the draft. But, you know, that's three first-rounders off this Texas A&M Aggies football team. I mean, you have, you have Evans, the receiver, and there's an offensive lineman, I'm sorry, his name's skipping my mind right quick, and I'm pulling it up now. Jake Long or something. I thought that was his name. Jake Matthews, I'm sorry. Jake Matthews, Johnny Manziel. And, I mean, there's three first-rounders off that team. And uh, I'm excited to see, you know, what they do in the NFL, but I'm also excited to see what, what they're going to do what Texas a and going to do without him because we're going to, Kevin Sullivan's going to earn his paycheck now. First two years he came in, he had a dynamic quarterback, and then all of a sudden he's going to lose him. But I think he'll be fine. He's an offensive-minded coach. But, you know, we talked about J- Jadavian Clowney. Where will he go in the draft? I look at him and I, I see a player that, could have gone number one overall last year in the draft, but because he was a sophomore and the NCAA won't allow it in the NFL, he had to come back. But during this season, you know, that bowl game against Michigan when he blew up the running back, picked the fumble up, I think he, he made himself a target, really. Everybody wanted to start – they gave him his all every time every time a game was played. And, you know, he was double, triple teamed a lot. And I do believe that the hunger goes out of kids like that because he wanted to go to the NFL. He wanted to, to make his money. And if he gets hurt trying to make some extra plays in college, he's going to lose his entire, you know, his paycheck. So I don't blame the guy. And I know that sounds terrible, but Clowney is great. And I don't care what anybody says out there. The NFL is going to – they're going to – Scoop him up, and they're gonna they're gonna pay him what he wants, and they're gonna get him on their team because he can get to the quarterback. I mean, his run his run stopping is not the best in the world, but I mean, as long as he can put pressure on the quarterbacks on third down and get some penetration and get some sacks, he'll make his money. But this draft is gonna be fun. I mean, it it is loaded with people, and and I'm also excited to see where Kelvin Benjamin, the wide receiver for Florida State, is gonna go. He's projected probably around 19th in the first round. I think he could he could climb up that board. I mean, just a great season overall. I'm hoping someone like Carolina can grab him because I know they're not going to be able to get Sammy Watkins. But we also have Marquise Lee, who's a junior out of Southern Cal. He's he's ready for the NFL right now. I mean, he's he's just ready to go. He's been ready since he was a freshman. So I'm excited to see where he ends up. But if you were a GM out there, and you are Houston's GM right now, what would you do with that first overall pick? That's the question. And like Paul said in the chat room, you've been injury plagued. It was a fluke. You, you're not the worst team in the NFL by a long shot. You know, next year's a new year. Would you would you draft someone with that first overall pick, or would you trade it? And my vote is, 
is you're going to trade that pick. So I'm interested to see what, what y'all say. Again, the caller number is 646-716-5564. And we'd love to hear from you tonight. And just to let you know about Sunday's show, we're really going to get into the the college football recruiting. Remember, Monday is a holiday. So we're going to do our two-hour show Sunday night starting at 8.30 p.m. Eastern time. And we're really going to hit on some college football recruiting. That signing day is just a couple weeks away, y'all. It's, it's sneaking up on us right now. And, uh, and you know we're going to nail this NFL draft. We're going to go through every team, every projection, just like we're going through it. And I remember last year, I was very accurate on that NFL draft, picking some of these people. But let's look at rivals real quick before we get into our NFL previews of the AFC and NFC championship. Once Cuervo gets on the line, he'll be on momentarily. And I'm looking at rivals. We'll we'll go with rivals first. And we'll look at the top ten classes. Alabama's number one, Ohio State two, Tennessee with 33 commitments at number three. Shocking the world right now. Uh, I know Paul's going to love to hear that. Florida State's fourth. One thing about Florida that surprises Florida State, they have 29 commits, but no five-star athletes on that roster. That's surprising. With with the amount of talent that Florida State usually gets, the five-star talent, they have none. Coming in at number five is Texas A&M right now. And remember, these are current rankings. You'll you'll see at signing day, these are going to move very, very quickly. And I have a few sleepers for y'all. Texas A&M is number five. LSU coming in at number six. Florida seven. Notre Dame eight. Miami nine. Auburn ten. Honorable mention, I'm going to give Georgia number 11. They've had a few coaching changes here. But how about Kentucky at number 12, guys? Kentucky at number 12. That has to be that has to be a shocker right there. Kentucky at number twelve. Now this is not basketball. This is college football. Kentucky with twenty three commitments, nine three stars, and no, excuse me, nine four stars and thirteen three stars. Do you understand how big that is, guys? Nine four star athletes at Kentucky. I bet you could take their last twenty years of recruiting and you wouldn't count up nine four stars probably. And I'll just keep going down the list for a minute if you want to. Texas at 13. I want to see how Charlie Strong's going to close right now. No five stars, six four stars. Ole Miss 14. How are they going to come back after that amazing recruiting class last year? And in my opinion, a disappointing season. I mean, they lost to Mississippi State, their rival. They finished seven and five. I mean, that's not that's not going to to get you a number one recruiting class. Clemson at 15. I think Clemson is going to take a little step back in this. I think they'll drop a little bit. UCLA 16, Oklahoma, you know, you'd think they'd get some momentum after the big Sugar Bowl win over Alabama. They have a five-star, five four-stars at number 17, Arizona State, Virginia Tech, North Carolina, 21, Penn State. I think they'll drop out of the top 25, Oregon at 22. And how is Oregon number 22, guys? I mean, with Nike there. And and all they do, and on the I mean they're always in the media and in college football they're on ESPN. Well, I'm sorry, rivals is what I'm using. I have a question in the in the chat room right now. I'm just looking at rivals right now, but we'll we'll get on our show and we'll break them down even more. 
Oregon at 22 with no five-star athlete, seven, four-star, nine, three. That's very disappointing if you're Oregon. That's not a Chip Kelly recruiting class right there, guys, and that's the difference between Helfrich and Chip Kelly. He, he could get the players in that system. He could get the four- and five-star athletes to run his system, and it looks like right now that the Helfrich is going to take a step back. He's not going to be able to recruit. I don't know if Oregon's going to be relevant in the next two or three years, guys. What do you think in the chat room? Will Oregon be relevant? In recruiting, it's not looking good right now. And again, it's still a month, a few weeks away from signing day. But I'm just not, I'm just not digging it right now with Oregon. I'm very disappointed in where they are. And you look at, you look at Michigan at 25, trying to catch Ohio State. Well, you're not going to do it when they're getting number two recruiting classes, and you're at 25. One five-star athlete from Michigan. Six, four stars, they're going to have to make a surge. They're going to have to make a huge push in the next couple of weeks to, to be able to, to get in that top ten. I don't think they can do it. Arkansas, surprisingly, at number 20 – or at number, excuse me, 29, no five stars, three, four stars. And I'm just looking through, like, Baylor at 32. I mean, the season you had, I just don't understand how you're at 32 right now and you have two four stars and no five stars. Nebraska – they want to be relevant again. I wonder how how all this negative media attention hurt them, really. And at 33, they have no five stars, three four stars, and 14 three stars. Well, you're not going to make the semifinals and the final four with that kind of recruiting, guys. And I'm surprised Michigan State at 34 right now. After that Rose Bowl victory, you have no five stars, and you have two four stars and 15 three stars right now. That's what separates the SEC, everybody. And I'm not being funny about it. We'll we'll go through. I just want to do this right quick. This is why the SEC is number one conference right now. Alabama, one. Tennessee, three. That's two. Texas A&M, five. That's three teams in the top five. LSU is number six. That's four. Florida, five. They're number seven. Auburn. They're six. Georgia, seven. Kentucky is the eighth SEC team coming in at number 12. Ole Miss, number nine, coming in at 14. Um, excuse me, I hate people say uh, South Carolina at 26. That, that shows you Arkansas at 29. The majority of the SEC teams in recruiting are in the top 25. And, and you see Michigan State that won the Big Ten and won the Rose Bowl they're down at 34. Missouri is probably the worst team in the SEC besides Mississippi State recruiting, and they're 35th. And they're going to take a push towards signing that. I think they'll get up in there in the top 28. Mississippi State's the worst, or Vanderbilt at 45. Mississippi State is. Vanderbilt's 52. So you think about that. The worst SEC team is 52. The next is 45. And after that, the sky's the limit. So that's why... The SEC right now is, is going to be the top conference. And, you know, they're losing a lot of quarterbacks this year. And, and you'll see that being recruited a lot in the SEC. You think about the NFL draft, you have A.J. McCarron, Mettenberger, uh, Aaron Murray, Johnny Manziel. You're going to have Franklin. You have some of the best quarterbacks in the in college football. They're, they're leaving. They're going into the draft, which is – which could really weaken the SEC from an offensive standpoint. I did hear a lot of people say this this year that the SEC defenses were terrible. And 
NFL caliber quarterbacks can make any college defense look terrible. And I think that's what you had week in and week out. You had some, for the most part, you had some potent quarterbacks with sophisticated offenses and, and they can throw the football, they can run it. You have these dual threat quarterbacks, the zone read, triple options, the spread. It's, it's changing football. And now defenses look weaker, and and now you'll probably start seeing the defenses dominate again in the SEC. And it's it's they were young, the defenses were young in the SEC. I have to admit that, but the quarterback play and the offensive play was just outstanding. And we'll see what Paul Sports Buzz Radio in the chat room says. Watch out for Kentucky to keep moving up the rankings, and I agree with him. I mean they're they're trying to turn it around there, and you have to commend them being in a football school or a basketball school, they're coming in starting to make a noise in football. That shows you the energy Stoops is bringing to that program. Kentucky's going to be relevant again, guys. I know it sounds crazy, but Kentucky's going to be a contender in the East in the next three to four years. And they're going to have – they're going to be like Vanderbilt was. They're going to have a strong senior class, and all at once they're just going to – they're going to sneak in there and possibly win that SEC and uh, Paul also said Oregon is known for rating high in recruiting rankings. They're a system recruited team, but they've they've had better athletes, Paul, than than what they're showing now. I mean, they've had they get a two or three five stars every class, and some four stars. I'm I'm just looking at the recruiting. I'm not very impressed with what I see now. And I think sorry, Cuervo. Cuervo's been on hold two minutes while I've been yapping. What's going on, Cuervo? Welcome to the show, buddy. Well, Tarvin, um, I apologize. I didn't get your messages till late, man. I just got off of work, but I'm here now. Um, and yeah, two minutes, I'll let it slide. You know, I, I like to give, uh, you know, the artist formerly known as scorekeeper. I like to give him a hard time, but I'm not going to give well, you a hard time about it. So, how you doing? I'm doing good, man. Thanks for joining me. I, I, I yeah, 34 minutes by myself, and you know, if I'm out there listening, I'm like. I'm saying, somebody please call in this show. You know, I'm, I'm tired of hearing him talk. But we were talking before we get into the NFL. I talked about the draft and everything. But I'm going through the recruiting rankings right now on Rivals for college. And, you know, we got a little buzz in the chat room going about the Kentucky Wildcats, Cuervo, at number 12 right now with nine four-star commits. And my comment was, you could probably add up the last 10 years of Kentucky and they didn't have nine four-stars all together. And my question to you and everybody out there, how long is it going to take Kentucky to get relevant again in football? I mean, they're going to close out strong, according to Sports Buzz Radio in the chat room. Can you imagine if Kentucky has two or three top ten recruiting classes in a row, Cuervo? How long is it going to take them to to be a contender in the East? Well, let me ask you this, Tarver. How long has Mike Stoops been coach now? Wasn't it his first year just now, this year? This is yeah. He had one year. This is his second. This is his first full recruiting season, I believe. This is his second season coaching. Yeah, well, you know what I say. I say give it another two years, and I think Kentucky is going to be, uh, you know, one of them schools that has a solid basketball and football program. And it's not going to happen <laughs> next year. They might. They might make a bowl game next year. They might surprise some people. Uh, however, give it two more years, and I think I think you're going to see an eight eight to nine win team in Kentucky. Yeah, and and I hadn't said much about Auburn Cuervo. They're number ten right now. They have 21 commitments. Out of those 21, they have three five stars. Uh, Alabama's the only person that has more. They have four five stars. Auburn has ten four stars. 
And I like to look at average star rating. Right now, Auburn's at 3.7. Alabama's the top at 3.88. So that's not too much difference. But look for a, a closing for Auburn in this year, but not just this year. I'm going to tell you right now on the radio, the 2015 class for Auburn is going to be the best in their school history. So y'all just mark that down that I said that. But I want your opinion real quick before we get in their NFL playoffs. I said something about the Oregon Ducks, Cuervo. They're at number 22, and they have seven four-stars and nine three-stars, no five-stars. And tell me if I'm wrong. Chip Kelly seemed like he got his share of five-star athletes, maybe at least two or three each class and, and a lot of four-stars. Am I missing that? Because Helfrich doesn't seem to be recruiting like Kelly did. Thanks. You know, Tom, it's going to take a little bit of time. Uh, maybe I'm just making excuses for the guy. Uh, however, you know, when it comes to recruiting, and which I know firsthand, everybody approaches it differently. You know, not there's not one – there's not two people or coaches or whatever, you know, business you're in if if your job is to recruit there's not two people that do it the same so um with that being said i mean i think that you know maybe what he's selling is different now compared to how chip kelly sold playing you know become being an oregon duck and i think that's gonna that could affect what kind of players he gets um, you know, not, not necessarily are they three-star, four-star. You're going to get four-stars. However, um, you know, you just got to have that eye, you know, that keen eye to know who's going to be a good player and who's not and who's play, who's a playmaker. And I mean, to be honest, though, Tarvin, I mean, gosh, name me besides – oh, boy. I mean, honestly, name me a solid – Name me a solid Oregon Duck in the NFL right now. I mean, I don't think I can do it. I can't do it. What's the linebacker's name? Matthew. Which one? Oh, Clay's brother, Casey Matthews. Yeah, Casey Matthews. Yeah. Plays for, I think, Philadelphia. Yeah. And that's it. And that's what – but the, Paul's probably right. They're a system team. They've never been known for their high recruiting ranking square bows, so – they recruit a system, and you know what? It works well. So so who am I to sit here and judge Oregon for their recruiting right now? Yeah, and I mean, like I said, I mean, you know, guys recruit for different reasons. Some just recruit for their system. Some, like Nick Saban, recruit to get guys to the next level. Some just recruit for the leftovers, yes. Some just recruit the leftovers. Well, I was the I was from the school, and this was before. I guess it was, you know, I was being a homer maybe before I got in the radio, before I started just researching all this. I was one of the people that says, you know what, recruiting doesn't matter. It's all coaching. Well, let me tell you, recruiting does matter, and and I'll tell you why it does. Well, I'll go back to let's go back to 2011. Okay. I'm hearing a little. I'm hearing a little background noise. I know you're driving, and uh, there it goes. It's good now. Let me let me show you some of the top teams in the country, and we'll go back to 2011. Alabama number one. Guess what? Florida State was number two in the nation two years ago in recruiting, and you know they just won a national championship. You had Georgia at number five. They played for the SEC championship last year. LSU was has been dominant. Auburn was number seven. 
back then. If you look at 2011, they finished number seven, right? And then the okay. year before that, they, they were in the top five. And last year, they were in the top ten. Auburn's in the national championship game this year. They didn't get into that, that game without having talent. And that's what I'm trying to say. Your four and five stars do matter. You're going to have some buzz. You have to develop your players. But talent's the main thing when it comes to college football, Cripa. Well, Tarvin, give me some names, though. I mean, you said Auburn had the number, what, two class? No, number one, right? Twins. No, they had the number seven, I was saying. Oh, I thought you said number one. I'm sorry. Well, I mean, number. I mean, still regardless, I mean, out of 100-and-something schools, that's, I mean, that's something to, you know, be a, you know, feel good about. But, I mean, what are some names? What are some guys that came out that year? I mean, was okay. it? You know what I mean? You see what I'm saying, though? I mean, you, we could talk about four-star, five-star all day, but who were the guys that came out that year? Okay. Who were some Good guys question. that made an impact? Good question. In 2011, when Auburn finished seventh, they had Quan Bray. He was a four-star. He hasn't done anything, really. Sammy Coates, a three-star wide receiver. He's the best receiver on our team. Uh, Reef Dismukes, a four-star offensive lineman. He's going to be a first-rounder in the NFL. You have Chris Frost, a five-star linebacker. He's he's doing very well. You have Brandon Fuels, a tight end, four-star. You have Trey Mason, a four-star. He's going to there be you go. First, second round in the NFL. Greg Robinson, four-star offensive lineman, is going to go to probably number four overall. And Jonathan Rose was a four-star. He played some corner. He's been hurt. But if you look at that, I mean, there's some names there that actually, you know, there was the five-star Chris Barros who was injured. He's played a lot this year now. But but those names I mentioned, you know who they are because they actually were producing in college. But if you get a full list of four- and five-stars, Cuervo, that you don't know after a couple of years, you know they're they're tanking. Right, and – and this is my point, Tarvin. You, 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 with some schools, you're going to notice a pattern. I guarantee you if you go back and you look at, let's say, um, let's say you look at Ohio State classes, okay, the ones that were top ten, all right, back when they, when they were recruiting well. I'm, I mean, you're probably going to see maybe one, maybe two guys that made an impact on their teams. Teams like USC in the you know ten years ago, Pete mm-hmm. Carroll. Let me tell you that that guy recruited some talent. I mean, if you go back and you look at like the class of two thousand one for USC, the class of two thousand two for USC, it's it, I, I guarantee it would blow your mind. You know, you, you probably see, um, you know, guys like Paulu Malu and Reggie Bush in the same year or. Like, I mean, I don't know off the top of my head. I, I wish I had a computer in front of me, but, boy, oh, boy. I mean, but the point is, Tarvin, you know, you, you'll notice that, and, and you're going to – you would see a trend of, okay, which guys can actually have the eye for the talent who don't. And, and like I said, I mean, some teams, some teams every year have a top 10, 10 uh, recruiting class. However – they don't do anything with it. And then you got some that it might surprise you. They might be just a top 15 uh, recruiting class. However, those guys made a lot more impact than 
you know, that top 10 tool. So, mm-hmm. you know, you, you know the, you, you'll notice patterns. It's just all about, see, a lot of people fall in love with the stars. You know, four-star, oh, we got a four-star guy. Okay, you know, what, what kind of impact will he make? I'll take a three-star guy that is guaranteed playmaker over a five-star that has potential to be a, you know, a, a top-caliber linebacker or whatever the case may be. Like, that's the way I, that's the way I look at it, Tyron. I'd rather have that guaranteed playmaker that's only a three-star because maybe he's a little undersized at safety or linebacker or whatever. But if the guy's a playmaker, the guy's a playmaker. I mean, that that's that's what it comes down to. You want playmakers on your team. Yeah, you do. And Paul made a good point. You know, you look at examples of you, – you look at Texas in the last few years. They had so much talent. But if you don't have the coaching, you don't have the right chemistry with the team, with the coaches, you're going to crumble. Look at Auburn last year, 3-9. and nine and had four top ten recruiting classes. Coaching does matter. You know, coaching matters. I'm not saying it doesn't. I want to emphasize that. But Texas is a good example, Paul said, of just being a team that's really underachieved and with all well, that talent to win a national championship. Yeah, well, you know what You know what that is, Tarvin? Again, Mac Brown was chasing the, the, the you know, the stars. He Five-star, I want this guy. Five-star, I want that he may not be the right fit for your team, but hey, he just wants the you know the 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 players with the with the you know with the, the most stars, and it just it got to the point where you know maybe it worked five years ten years before, uh, but it's not working anymore. So where Mac Brown probably failed to make the adjustments, and then that's you know that's why. You know, the teams weren't doing as well. It's just, I mean, you have to recruit the right guys for your for your football team. And, you know, I mean, who am I to say that Mac Brown's not a good coach or a good recruiter? Uh, however, I mean, the, the eye test, I think, tells everybody what they need to know. And that was that, you know, Mac Brown, like you, know, like, like you guys are saying, he, you know, he recruited the talent. It just wasn't the right talent for him in his system. There's a difference. Well, I'm telling you, three of the best coaches when it comes to recruiting, and and one's not proven yet, Gus Malzahn, you watch. When he gets the four and five stars for his system, they're going to work out. If you look at Pete Carroll, what he did, Nick Saban never misses. And it's not because these guys are, are just lucky. It's because they understand the kind of player they're looking for. They know how to develop those players. And, and, and it takes a certain kind of coach to, to coach five-star athletes, too. I don't think Mac Brown could – I mean, he just lost his touch or he just couldn't do it. You have to be uh, you have to be the boss, really. You look at Pete Carroll, everybody knew he was the boss over there. Nick Saban, people are scared of him. Gus Malzahn, it's his way or the highway. You see these coaches like this. They're going to be successful when it comes to recruiting. Pete Carroll's in the NFL, of course, but, hey, he's winning with Seattle right now. he got a good quarterback, and, and look what he's doing. But we're going to break down recruiting, guys, big time in the next few weeks. We're going to have uh, CBS recruiters on, analysts. We're going to have ESPN. Tom Luganville will be joining us. We're going to talk some college football recruiting, and we're going to have some fun with it. 
because you know I want to go through each class and and and, and guess whatever which ones, especially for the teams you follow, which ones are going to be impact players, which ones are you really looking for. And I'm excited. You're Tennessee Volunteers, by the way. I won't skip out on you. We talked about it before you got here at number three right now. I mean, number three in the country in recruiting. They keep this up. It's just gonna it's gonna be awesome to see what they can do in a few years. And they'll be back, just like we talked about Kentucky. I think Tennessee can be back even quicker because they have a foundation established already. Yeah, Marvin, you know, I'm I'm trying to not get too excited because again, you know, we can <laughs> talk about, oh, look at all these four star guys and great, good job, Coach Jones. What are you gonna do with it though? That's the question. You get the number three recruiting class, but you go five and seven again, you know, we got ourselves a problem. And, you know, so do I I love the fact that they have the number three recruiting class? Absolutely. You know, however, I want to see what Coach Butch Jones does with that number three recruiting class. Who will become an impact player? Who will he make? And all is there an all American in there somewhere? You know, and it, it, it's yeah. yet to be seen. Obviously, is there anybody all SEC freshman on that team? And I would love to see that. I would love to see some impact players for Tennessee, and that's what's been missing since. I mean, since guys like Robert Meacham were there, uh, and, and I mean, again, that's not really a whole lot to be said because he only played really a year and a half at Tennessee, and then, you know, he jumped ship to go to the NFL. Uh, but, I mean, off the top of my head, that's the last real – unless I'm missing – oh, wait, I'm sorry, Eric Berry. Of course, Eric Berry, you know, safety, All-American, now obviously in Kansas City. That's the last guy, and it's been, what, you know, three years now, Tarvin, since he left Tennessee and went uh-huh. to the draft? For Tennessee, yeah. that's you know that's just that's not good numbers. Well, I want to ask you this, Cuervo: Who's the quarterback? And and what I was saying, if you don't have an SEC or a, excuse me, a, a dynamic quarterback, a productive quarterback, a leader at quarterback, you're not going to win. And Tennessee can have the best recruiting class five years in a row, but if they don't get the right quarterback to run their offense, they're not going to win in the SEC. Right, and. I mean, I, you know, watching that kid hop a little bit last year at the end, I wasn't too disappointed. I mean, he, he, he made some nice plays. Um, however, again, I mean, if there's somebody in that recruiting class as a freshman that, you know, I know this is a little over top, but, you know, a Jameis Winston type guy, then he needs to be the starter. Yeah, and I hope. I hope Jones can uh, develop the quarterback they have now and and make him better because Paul just pointed out there's no quarterbacks in this year's class for Tennessee. So we'll follow that and see how the quarterback situation goes. But right now, guys, we're going to move to the NFL real quick. Uh, We're going to talk about these matchups before we go. We're not going to stay much longer. I know it's getting late. It's it's about the time we usually quit. We usually start at 8.30, but we have to talk about this NFC Championship and the AFC Championship game. Cuervo, is it funny to you that we have the AFC, we have probably the two best quarterbacks in the game right now, 
going on. In the NFC, we look, we have some young rising stars, but the two best teams that will be playing will be in the NFC championship game. What are your thoughts about that? I think the winner of this game definitely is going to win the Super Bowl. Well, Tarvin, I mean, I'll take it a, I'll take it a step further, and I'll say that for both sides, I think we could not have asked for, you know, a, two better games. I really, I really believe 100% that we have the four best teams left over, and I know you probably heard that everywhere. Well, I really do believe that. I mean, it's, it's being said everywhere for a reason because it's true. I mean, both of these games are – you can make an argument for either one as to which one is the better game. You know, you got obviously, you know, Manning versus Brady, and then you've got, in my opinion, which has become, you know, the best rivalry game in the NFL now – it, it, I mean, it blows away Steelers-Ravens. I mean, it's not even close anymore. It, it's it's all about the Seahawks-Niners. When the Seahawks and Niners play, that's a game you want to sit down and watch. So, um, do I agree as far as the, you know, the NFC champion will go to win the Super Bowl? I don't know. I mean, I think, I think both Tom Brady and Peyton Manning still have you know, they still have things that they, they want to prove. I mean, and I'm sure Brady would like to get that fourth ring and put himself in the class with Montana and Bradshaw. And I mean, for Peyton Manning, I'm sure he's tired of hearing, well, Peyton, you, you got one less ring than your brother. And, you know, so I'm sure he would like to win that second ring. So I think those two still, you know, they're still hungry. You know, I mean, everybody talks about Brady three rings. He hasn't won. He hasn't won one in nine years. So I think I think those guys are just as hungry as the young guys over in the NFC. So I think it's going to make I think it's going to make for probably one of the best championship weekends in recent memory. Mm-hmm. I agree. And hey, just to point out, Paul reminded me. I was going to tell you that my Super Bowl preseason, you know, we were doing our previews. I had Denver and San Francisco playing in the Super Bowl. Trey had Denver-Seattle in the Super Bowl. So still a possibility we both could, you know, or one of us could get our picks right here. If Denver wins, one of us is going to be right on the Super Bowl. That's pretty good, isn't it, Cuervo? I'm still alive here. It is, and I actually I take the same exact uh... – I had the same prediction as Trey did. I said Denver, Seattle. Um, so we'll see what happens. Well, I'll tell you this right now. This, I mean, you're right. It's going to be the best weekend of of, of championship football we've we've seen. Even though I picked San Francisco to make the Super Bowl, I look at this Seattle San Francisco game, and even though San Francisco is the best team in the NFL right now, there's no doubt about that. How are they going to go on the road to a hostile environment in Seattle and pull off a win? And the reason I don't I don't think San Francisco will win this game is because they're on the road. I'm not in love with their offense. I'm not in love with Colin Kaepernick. I just think, you know, Carolina made some mistakes last week. They just didn't play well, and, and they hit some plays. But the difference is Carolina's defense is not Seattle's, especially at home. And I think Colin Kaepernick's going to struggle 
I think he's gonna he's gonna make some big mistakes in this game, and I think Seattle's gonna win. Russell Wilson is not impressive either, Cuervo to me. I mean, but the difference is they're at home. I mean, how many turnovers will Russell Wilson have? How many turnovers will Colin Kaepernick have? I bet you anything, Russell Wilson has less because he's asked to do less. All he does is manage that football game and feed off that crowd. So, Cuervo, I just don't see. San Francisco going into Seattle and winning this game. You know, and, and it's, it's, I mean, it, I, I can understand why. I mean, everybody, I think you're like, Carmen, I think you're the only person on planet Earth right now that is not impressed by how well San Francisco is playing right now. I mean, that's all I'm hearing about. The Niners are the hottest team in the NFL. The Niners are, are they're rolling and they've got all you know they've got all their receivers back, and which they don't because they must have forgotten about Mario Manningham. I mean that's what everybody's talking about. Oh Seattle or you know San Francisco is uh, they're rolling right now and nobody's going to stop them and oh they're going to go into Seattle and they're going to win. Hold on a second. No. no. Did we forget? Did we already forget? What happened to San Francisco the last two times they've gone to Seattle? I mean, they embarrassed themselves in Seattle, Darvin. So why would it be any different this time when they go to Seattle with that much more on the line? I mean, if they can't beat them in Seattle in week two of the regular season, what makes you think they're going to go to Seattle and win in the NFC championship game? I mean, I, I, it would not surprise me if if the Seahawks beat them twenty six to seven. It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, I, I really don't see how San Francisco will even stay in this game because there's something about the, you know that stadium. I mean, the Forty ers they could probably go to thirty one stadiums, beat the snot out of every team in the NFL. Once they get to Seattle, it's like the demon that comes out, and I mean. The 49ers, they just forget how to play football. And, well, I mean, that's, that's, that's how it is. I, I just don't see how it changes all of a sudden. Well, you know, you can't compare teams. You know, San Francisco is a different team now. I agree with that. Then, then You know, I'm agreeing with everybody out there, you know, how hot San Francisco is. They're a better football team than they were back when Carolina beat them in San Fran 10-9. They went to Green Bay and they beat, a, to me, an overrated Green Bay team. And honestly, they beat an overrated Carolina football team that wasn't ready to take that next step. I mean, Carolina was a good football team, don't get me wrong, but there's a difference when you go into the playoffs. They had the advantage just because they've been there and done that before. And now, do they have enough to go on the road to Seattle? And, and tell me this, and this is my feeling, this is my gut feeling about Seattle. I think they've been sandbagging just a little bit. I mean, they've, they've tailed off. They lost to Arizona and Seattle. They look like garbage in the second half against the Saints. But Cuervo, when you watch this game Saturday or Sunday night, you're going to see a, a lot different team in Seattle than you have in the last few weeks. This defense is good. And with that home crowd, man, they're not selling tickets to anybody in San Fran. So there's not going to be any San Francisco fans there, guy. I mean, it's just going to be all, all Seattle. And I think Seattle takes care of business. I just don't see it. I can't, I can't agree with all these people that jump on the, uh, the coattail of San Francisco now, and they're, they're impressed with Colin Kaepernick doing his Cam Newton impersonation when he scores a touchdown. 
I don't think he'll score a touchdown against Seattle Cuervo. I just don't think he'll even score one. Yeah, I mean, like I said, Tarvin, it's going to be really hard to believe that even though the Niners are playing better, they've, you know, I mean, obviously since week two they've gotten their guys back and whatnot. I just, I mean, look at last year, though, when they had their guys. And, and I mean, it just, it, they just, they're just not the same team when they go to Seattle. It's something about that place that, it, you know, it haunts them and, and they just, don't play there. They don't play well there. I mean, there, there's. I mean, there's nothing that you can really say about it. But as far as the Seahawks, Tarvin, you're, you're pretty much saying that they're pulling a Miami Heat right now. They're just kind of breezing through, waiting for the big game, which is obviously Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah, they're pulling a Miami Heat, right? <laughs> well, I've seen them playing I've seen them playing big games, Cuervo. When they when the Niners came to town, it was a big game at the time. It was huge, and they they killed them. New Orleans came to Seattle on a big Monday night game. They destroyed Monday them. night, yeah. And they and and they haven't played really a big game since that Saints game. And it's like they've been coasting along. But I think you're going to see it laid all on the line because I think Seattle understands they have to win. I mean, they go to the Super Bowl. There's no tomorrow. You have to win. So it's going to be a different crowd that was that's going to be there Sunday than was there this past Saturday. It's going to be a lot more hostile. Yeah. And, you know, Tarvin, I, I disagree with not selling tickets to 49er fans. This, that, to me, I don't think that's right. I mean, everybody should have a right to go to the game, no matter who you're a fan of. You should, If you have the money, you should have the right to buy that ticket. So, I, I mean <laughs> – you know, shame, shame, shame on Seattle for that. I mean, I, I don't think that's right. Uh, but I mean, hey, I don't make the rules, and uh, it just it makes the twelfth man that much stronger. But uh, I'm going to make a bold prediction, though, Tarvin, and and maybe it's not as bold as I'm thinking, but I I really believe that these two quarterbacks will have absolutely they will have absolutely zero impact on this football game. I think it's going to come down. I think it's going to come down to Marshawn Lynch versus Frank Gore. I really do. I think it's going to be the running games that makes the difference. Uh, like I said, maybe maybe I'm not surprising anybody. Maybe it's, you know it's not breaking news, but I, I really don't. I really don't feel like these quarterbacks are going to have a big impact on the football game. Well, I have a I have a prediction for you. I've, I've been watching Sonny Clark the way he picks his over unders. He's gonna he's gonna be a sucker. And he's going to bet over 38 and a half points, and he's going to lose because 38 and a half is way too high for this game to me. I think it's going to be a 17 to 14 type of game if it's that. I mean, 38 and a half. Vegas is trying to send us a message, Cuervo. They're trying to sucker people into betting over on this game, but it's not going to happen. No, I, I don't think so either. And, um, I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be definitely under. I mean, this could be a thirteen to thirteen to seven game. I mean, you just never know. But um, yeah, I think I think this one's going to definitely be under. And then for Denver and 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 New England, I don't know what it what the over under is, but it's going to go over. I don't know what it is, but it's going to go over. Fifty fifty six. Yeah, it's going to go over. I mean, I, I think I think Manning and Brady will probably. Con- fine for, you know, between eight and ten touchdowns. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you on that, but I, I look at the point spread in the Seattle-San Francisco game. It's three and a half, and I don't think people realize how big that half a point is in the NFL. Like, most of the time when a team is favored three and a half, they they blow it open. It's like if it's three, two and a half, then you have to be careful of that. Usually the underdog will come in and pull the pull the cover off, Cuervo. And, and that's what I'm looking at right now. Vegas feels pretty confident, and, and it surprises me because, look, you said it. You said it, and I've heard the same thing you've heard for weeks. San Francisco's the hottest team. They're the best thing since sliced bread. If the point spread, you know, most of the people are betting on San Francisco, why is that line three and a half? <laughs> that's a great question. And, again, that's another message that – Vegas is sending. They're like, yeah, go ahead. Take the underdog. Go right ahead. And when Seattle wins by touchdown, <laughs> you know, Vegas, they're going to be in the money because everybody wanted to to uh, go with the Niners. So, I mean, I, I, hey, I'm not doing it. I'm Seattle, Seattle easily, okay, I'm going to say it again, Tarvin, Seattle is going to easily cover that three and a half. Wow. Bold prediction there. Well, I'm with you. I'm not one of those people because I picked Denver and San Francisco to make the Super Bowl that I'm going to pick them tonight. That's not how I roll. I go week to week. And right now, Seattle, it's a night game in Seattle. Um, I'm just telling you, man, this could get ugly. I mean, it it should be close because the offenses aren't that good. But all it's going to take is Seattle to get a pick six on Kaepernick. Uh, that place is going to explode and the, and the floodgates could open. But you're picking Seattle. I'm picking Seattle. That moves us to the next game, the AFC Championship, Peyton Manning versus Brady, just like the good old days, Cuervo. Denver is a five-and-a-half-point favorite in this game. Is that surprising to you? Not really. Um, you know, I think what people are looking at with this game is just the offensive firepower that you know, the Broncos have, and the question becomes, I mean, how are you going to stop all of it? You know, Keep Tlaib can only cover one guy at a time, and, you know, Keep Tlaib is, is nothing to you know, hold your head up high about. I mean, he, he's a good corner. He's not, he's not no, uh, he's not a Richard Sherman, though. Uh, so, you know, that's going to be the question. I mean, even, even if Belichick, you know, his game plan is to take out Demarius Thomas, we still got to worry about Wes Welker. You still got to worry about Eric Decker. Oh, and by the way, you still got to still worry about Julius Thomas. So, I mean, Belichick probably is getting about two hours of sleep this whole week per night. So, I mean, that's how much this game is probably driving him nuts. Uh, but I think what you have to remember is how did that second half go in New England? I mean, think about it. Denver was what? What were they up like twenty-eight to three or something like that? I mean, they were just demolishing the yeah, Patriots yeah. in yeah. New England. By twenty-four the way. to nothing. Twenty-four to nothing yeah, at halftime. Yeah, it, it was ridiculous. And you know, and this is Denver's problem, Harvin. When they when they get big leads like that, they did it when they were in Dallas too. They got a big lead, if I remember right, on the Cowboys. And all of a sudden, you look, 
and it's like, whoa, you know, it's a seven-point game. See, the problem with Denver is, I mean, they they can they can they can put points up. All right, I mean, they can be up fourteen to nothing to the game. However, their problem is they don't know Tarvin how to hold on to lead, and that's why I'm surprised that they were able to hold on against San Diego last week. And Philip Rivers said it, and I believe it. If they would have got one more possession, I think they would have tied the game. I really do. Because, the, you know, that's the Broncos' biggest problem is they'll, they'll, they'll get a big lead on you, but they don't know how to hold on to it. They don't have that killer instinct. And I think that could come back to haunt them at a chance to play for the Lombardi Trophy. Yeah, and, you know, I look at this point spread, and, and I'll, I'll take New England all day long plus five and a half, but the problem I run into is this is in Denver, and, and this is Peyton Manning's time to to get the critics off of his back, Cuervo, to, to get all the doubters off, of his, off their mind because what's going to happen is everybody right now is thinking about you know this Denver, this New England offense. How explosive it is with a new running game. They they found a running game. All of a sudden, Brady was non-existent. But I, I just think Brady is going to be able to come out and exploit. I don't care if I'm a receiver, Cuervo's a receiver. I'll put Paul Ewing at a tight end. It doesn't matter. We're going to get catches all day long, and we're going to be productive because you know why? Tom Brady is the quarterback. And I just see him and Peyton Manning, this is going to be a game where both of them have their way. Both teams will be able to run the football. They'll be able to throw the football. I just don't see the defenses really having that much of an impact. But what I do see, maybe being on the road, a fumble, a block punt, something like that could, could turn this game. And the, if the line was three, and that's where it should be, the line should be at three. And Vegas, you know, they miss college lines all the time. College football is hard to predict because emotions involved a lot and the home crowd advantage, home field advantage. Well, it's the same thing in this one. You know, Denver is at home. There's going to be a lot of emotion in the game, but they nail these point spreads for some reason almost. They put them right where they sucker people in and it's right around it. That concerns me. That makes me want to take Denver almost to win this football game because just, just – Common sense looks at it, and I just look at it and say, that's too high. That's too many points. That game should be three. And, and I think Denver's going to win the game, but it's going to be by, by probably a field goal, three or four points. And I don't know. I mean, this is a tough one to pick, but I, I do think Denver's going to win the game. So I'll hold true to that one. I picked Denver to win this, to make it to the Super Bowl. think they're going to get through it. But Cuervo, I just don't understand how Denver's that big of a favorite, especially, like you said, the way they choke lead in the, as hot as New England's playing. And and I don't know if you remember me saying this about New England, Cuervo, but I thought they would get into the playoffs and maybe win a game and then lose right off the bat. They, they weren't a good team. But the more I watch this team, the more of a believer I am in them. They could easily go into Denver and win the game. They're better than I thought, but I don't know if they're good enough to go into Denver with, with all the marbles on the line and beat Peyton Manning right now. Well, yeah, and I mean, a lot of people are, are concerned with the fact that, um, you know, who, who's, who's Brady going to really throw the ball to? Um, which receiver could step up? I mean, 
obviously all eyes are going to be on a guy like, you know, a guy like Julian Edelman. And, you know, when you look at the offenses, it's almost, it's almost, you know, you can't even really compare. However, this is where, this is the point in the playoffs where New England always peaks, Tarvin. They, they always get to, I mean, they've made what, three straight AFC championships. They've won only one of them, you know, two years ago. So, um, you know, it's, but here's the thing. Two years in a row, they, they've lost, uh, you know, in the AFC championship game to, let's see, last year it was Baltimore. And then the year before that, I believe it was, uh, well, actually, no, hold on a second. They, no, they won it two years ago. My fault. Uh, they they beat Baltimore and then they lost to Baltimore last year. So I think what what you see there is you know they played a, a phenomenal defensive team. You know with Ray Lewis still being on there. Now you face a defense with no Von Miller, okay, no Chris Harris who was their best uh, defensive back. And I think that's I think that's where Belichick is gonna be looking to attack whoever Chris Harris's replacement is. And I don't know who it is. Um, I don't know if it's going to be, they're going to plug somebody else. And I think they just signed somebody. But anyways, the whole point Tarvin is whoever this replacement defensive back is, he's they're They're going to pick on him. I guarantee you Bill Belichick will pick on that guy. And, you know, they're going to get production on that side of the field. So they're going to stay away from Champ Bailey or Rodgers Cromartie, whoever's on the other side. But this new guy is going to get messed with big time. And, you you know, look for a big game from somebody that we're not going to expect. Because that's what that's what we've gotten all season, Tarvin. It's, it's always, whether it's Kemble Tompkins with a game-winning catch against New Orleans, or it's Edelman with 12 catches in a game, or it's uh, you know, that tight end mulligan, you know, I mean, we don't know. that We don't know who's going to come up with the big game at, on the receiving end. However, like you said, it's not going to matter because as long as number 12 is there, then you have a shot at winning. So um, for Denver, defensively, they're going to have to mix it up. They have to mix it up, Tarvin, because if they – if they, uh, you know, get too comfortable, you know, Brady, like you said, Brady's just going to pick them apart. Yeah, he, he's going to pick them apart. And last time they played, he was 34-50, 344 yards, three touchdowns and no interceptions. So what that tells me is, is Brady understands how to move the ball against this Denver defense. I don't think they're going to miraculously – learn how to stop Tom Brady all of a sudden this Sunday. So, like I said, Cuervo, this is going to be a high-scoring affair. The turnover is going to cost one of the teams. And I don't know. I just don't see the winner of this game actually beating the other team. But one good thing about it, say New England or Denver makes it, they get to play Seattle, but, but they don't have to play them in Seattle. That's a good benefit. So, I think if San Francisco wins, they're going to win the Super Bowl. But if Seattle wins, I think I think Denver or or New England could probably beat them. I think if San Francisco wins, though, Cuervo, they're going to win the Super Bowl. 
Yeah, and I mean, you got you got to remember too where the Super Bowl is going to be played. I mean, how good of a cold weather team is the Seahawks? I mean, there's there's I mean, for for months we've heard that there's predictions of of a bad storm coming just you know days before the game. So we're probably going to get some nasty cold weather during the game, and. I mean, San Francisco's proven that they can play in cold weather. I mean, uh, so if they do win this game, if they somehow find a way to beat Seattle, then I think I think you're right. I think they're the better matchup for either team. Um, not to take anything away from the Seahawks, but from a weather standpoint, from cold weather teams, as they like to call it, uh, I think I think San Francisco's proven that they're the better cold weather team. Yeah, I mean San Francisco. I mean they they went to Green Bay. I mean they won't play in a colder place than that probably. And then, I mean they they they're veterans. These guys know how to play football, and and they're going to be tough. I can't wait to see that game Sunday night. I cannot wait. The best thing about it, we're going to do our show. You know that game will be going on at the end, but I'm I'm excited about it uh, to see. We don't have to go to work Monday, and uh, it's just going to be a great. A great Sunday. Cuervo, I'm going to cut the show now. I've got to get to work at 5 a.m. in the morning, so I'm going to have to get some a little sleep, get Cujo, get him fed, get him ready for bed. But we'll be back on the air Sunday night, 8.30 p.m. Eastern. I may move it to 9, depending on the game. I want it to be as far away from the game as possible. So, Cuervo, thanks for joining me, man. I couldn't have made it this long without you, buddy. Well, um, I appreciate that, Tarvin, but, I mean, uh, I'm I'm not the greatest starter, but I'm a damn good closer. That's right. You, you're, you're Rob Dibble. That's who you are. <laughs> oh, gee, thanks. No Mariano Rivera love. That's cool. Hey, Rob Dibble, man, I'll take you <laughs> any day, baby. And Paul Ewing, <laughs> and I uh, appreciate him joining us in the chat room as well. And I want to give a shout-out to... Sports Buzz Radio joined us as well in the chat room. I know a lot of people are, are getting settled and everything. We actually have a lot of live listeners, just not in the chat room right now. So good little crowd joining us tonight. We want to thank you for that. And remember, go to Facebook, uh, look at our Way in Sports page, follow us on Twitter at Way in Sports. Guys, we will see you Sunday night, either at 8.30 or 9. Check, the, check Facebook and Twitter for the announcement. Cuervo. I'm sure we'll be talking Friday or Saturday. Have a great week. Yeah, you do the same, Tarvin. Have a good week, man. All right, you too, bud.